What's up everyone? Welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get this episode underway. Radio. Got an old friend of mine, James Marshall, with me today. Uh, professional rugby player, played for the Hurricanes, spent a fair bit of time overseas, and is a true Nelsonian Tasman Marco boy. James, thanks for joining me, bro. Really excited to dive in and have a chat. Hey, thanks for having me on. I've been um, just started this podcast sort of business as well. First time I've been on the other side of the mic, so uh, really looking forward to it. Let's see how we go then. Yeah. Hey, first things first, uh, it's a crazy time out there at the moment for uh, all industries, but particularly for rugby. What's it been like being in camp through the coronavirus stuff and what's happening, uh, obviously you're signed with the Hurricanes at the moment, what's it like behind the scenes, what's the feeling like, we're about to get back to playing some rugby, how has that transition been over the last couple of months of trying to function in professional sport but obviously been able to do very little? Yeah, it was a, it was a mad couple of months to be honest, like from the first sort of case we had some sort of preparation meetings around what how we're going to deal with this if it, if it happens and then... It obviously happened and it all went um, into full lockdown. So that was a very unique situation where all the players are trying to maintain their fitness, skills and stuff from their own home, not allowed, not being allowed to yeah. leave the house. So it was such a unique situation. We're trying to do like catch up with guys on Zoom calls and like keep our connections. But it was all um, very sort of, yes, yeah, such a strange situation to be in and um, now coming to the end of it, it's sort of done a real quick sw- swing around where we're now looking at playing next weekend with crowds and we're basically back into business. So it's it's been a crazy couple of months. How, was it, how have they managed to like keep the team culture? Because I imagine that as part of being, like when you're building towards a season, a huge focus, obviously you want fitness and strength and conditioning and you've got all your tactical stuff that you're working on, but a massive part of it is obviously building that team culture and the connection with new guys coming in and stuff. How have they managed that? Well, basically they just tried to keep those connections with the Zoom calls and stuff, which weren't quite the same, but I think everyone sort of missed each other's company so much that when we came back together that everyone was just so happy to see each other that um, the, the connection we didn't lose too much of a connection and um, the way we're building towards this first game is um, everyone's pretty excited and just really looking forward to playing rugby because when it's taken away from you so suddenly that you sort of have this new appreciation to for your job and what you're doing. Yeah, what's that been like for you? Um, obviously, you're out with an injury at the moment. You've just had surgery. Yeah. But I think uh, I've been watching a lot of the professional – I follow a lot of professional sportsmen online and I'm pretty fascinated in the behind-the-scenes side of things. What's it been like to stop and not have sport like, and to actually have to face up to the fact that it's quite vulnerable – and that there's a whole big world outside of sport. Has that been like a scary thing to face up to, or how's that been? Yeah, well, it's something I've been thinking about, honestly, throughout my whole career. Like, you've got these player development people through all your teams you have, and they're always asking you, what do you want to be when you when you finish? And something that you don't really know. And even when you go to, like, sponsor events, you meet sponsors, and they say, oh, what do you want to do when you finish rugby? Because you're not going to be doing rugby for much longer. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't really know, but I've, got a lot of things that I want to do but how do I start doing that while I'm still playing and well, it's, it's, all, it's quite a 
awkward transition, like I was a fair bit of anxiety around it, like making that transition. And I know a lot of people who really struggle with it, but I mean, this little break for me where I've got 12 months um, towards the end of my career to try different avenues is going to, it's going to be massive for me to sort of um, see what I want to do, try some things, and um, if they work, they work. If they don't, I can I know that, and I can go on to something else. But it's definitely an area where every rugby player is going to come to at some point, and and yeah, the way people deal with it's going to be different. Why how how well they prepare for it? Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I mean, obviously, you've just started your podcast as well. It feels like there's a big transition towards athletes starting to take their brand seriously and starting to look at what they can leverage outside of the game to you know build a career for themselves beyond that. Obviously, Artie's uh, got his podcast running and he's kind of leading the way for a lot of the New Zealand rugby players in terms of um, he's built a clothing brand, he's doing all sorts of cool initiatives. Um, is it something that you feel like people are starting to, with the rise of social media and stuff, and now having this period of time where people have been at home and, and had to stop. I see TJ's just launched a card um, business, yeah. basketball card business. Do you feel like it, that's kind of been a turning point for professional sport in terms of people now really starting to take that on board and build moving forward? Yeah, I think so. I don't think people have really taken it that seriously, that building the brand thing, but like you've seen with Artie and TJ, like these two, they're probably two guys who have really taken it to the next level and, um, they're probably the two most popular, like famous people, rugby players in New Zealand now, I'd say, along with Bodie and stuff. But what they've done really well is market their brand, like you say, and um, they're not afraid to put things out there. And um, they've obviously got huge following, so, and people love them, and, and they perform on the field. So they've got that massive advantage of, of other people who haven't got that, that yeah. they can tap into. Yeah, that's right. Let's go back, like, it's funny because I probably haven't actually sat down with you and seen you for, I don't know, maybe, I think the last time I bumped into you was probably five years ago or something in Wellington. At the supermarket. Yes, yeah, so, something in Island Bay. <laughs> but um, obviously we went to school together and uh, played a little bit of rugby together. Uh, and from what I remember, like, it was always your dream. You didn't really have anything else that you wanted to do. Like, you were pretty early on, you were set that you wanted to be a rugby player. Is it funny looking, like, did you think that you'd make it as a professional rugby player? Well, I always wanted to be a rugby player, but I never really thought I'd be a rugby player. Like, I thought I could potentially um, make a living off it, travelling around to all sorts of, like, low div division sort of things. And that was sort of um, when I started to make the first 15 and stuff. But even from a young age, I remember telling my teacher that... Um, she said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm, I'm going to be a rugby player. And people sort of laughed. And I, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if I believed it or not. But she asked me if I made the under 16A Nelson College team. And I was like, no, I didn't. She, well, she's like, oh, good luck being a rugby player. Then. <laughs> and I was like, she's right. Like, um, how am I going to be a rugby player when I can't even make the A team of our college? And um, it was like a real moment in my mind where I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a serious go for the next two years. If I'm not in the first 15, um, at a hot, uh, one of our players in the first 15 uh, come seventh form, then I, realistically I'm not going, to be able to, um, not going to be able to be a professional rugby player. So um, I remember that uh, Christmas I asked my mum and dad for a, joint, or for a gym membership for my birthday and Christmas. And I just went hard because everyone kept saying I was too small. I was, I was a skinny, skinny guy. And um, everyone would say, oh, you're too small to be a professional rugby player. You're, you're never going to be big enough and or strong enough. And I was like, well, 
how can I fix that? So I, I need to go to the gym. So I went to the gym real hard and got got strong. Like I was pretty, like I was doing some pretty big weights for like a skinny, skinny white guy. And even throughout my whole career, people have always been like, oh, well, how, how did you get so strong? But it was it was that off season there where I just like really wanted to give everything mm. or sort of not give people a chance to not select me. So I knew the things that they were going to say was, oh, you're too small, you're not strong enough. So I wanted to get bigger um, get strong enough and then find make them say something else about me that um, for a reason for not picking me really yeah because it was I think when we all finished school and everyone was sort of going off to uni and going their different ways and stuff you stayed in Nelson and played rugby and I don't know I can't remember whether this is true or whether I heard this but you pretty much just spent like a year you were just kicking goals you were down at the gym you were just like working your ass off after that first 15 year to try and, I don't know if you were contracted at that point or whether you were trying to get a contract with the Marcos, but I remember someone saying that you were just putting in a truckload of work to try and get to that next level. What was that transition like from going out of college? Because you're a really good first 15 year, I remember that. Um, and Nelson College went pretty well and that kind of probably put you up, put you up there. Like you sort of got some recognition that year. What was the transition like into professional rugby and what was it like when you first got your contract like your first contract yeah so after the first 15 so I, I had made the first 15 and I was captain in my last year and ma- managed to start making the rep teams and stuff so I made the um, Nelson Bays under 18s and things and then um, Tasman offered me an academy contract and um, there was a I also was in the frame for New Zealand under 19 so yeah, that's that was right. that was like a massive turning point for me because I was I, I was starting to get quite good compared to the Nelson region, but the thought of being in the whole New Zealand mm. like up there with those sort of players was sort of something I didn't really feel like I was personally. So um, when I went to those camps, I was always a little bit like, oh, this is like um, next level. And I didn't really believe I was good enough, and mm. I think that sort of held me back from making those teams a little bit. And... Um, I remember the following year where I had quite a good year with um, Tasman under-20s team and I made the um, New Zealand under-20s camps and there was like a, um, we had to do like a journal of what sort of training we're doing and send it to the coaches and I remember like going like so hard at this, like I was like, like you said, I was like every day doing, I was training probably harder then than I ever have in my career, yeah, right. like it was like next level and I was writing it all down, I stopped drinking, I stopped um I just fully focused on footy for like, it might have been a six month build up to the New Zealand 20s. And then I got up to camp and I was like feeling really good, but I still wasn't sure if I was good enough to be with these guys who were all playing sort of ITM Cup at that stage. And there's like some big names like Izzy Dag and things like that were all like already cracked it. And you're like, oh, wow, like I'm, um, I don't really feel like I'm at that level, but I've given it everything I could. And I actually had a really bad trial. I don't know why I think it was because of that. Like I didn't really believe I was good enough. Yes. But, um, I remember sitting down with Dave Rennie after the trial where he was telling people whether they'd made it or not. And um, he just said to me, like, mate, I, I wanted to pick you so bad because the way you handled it, like you're a good guy and the, the way you trained so hard for this, I know like you, you put in the best work with the journal and all that sort of stuff. And then he's like, but you just didn't troll well enough and I can't pick you and I was like he's like I think you'll be a good player but you just keep working like that and that really stuck with me because I was like because it was so honest it was mm. like I had worked hard he he, he recognised that but 
um, I didn't play well enough, and that's the, that's the thing. I didn't take my opportunity. So um, it was something that always sticks with me, how he believed that I could be a player, good player, but um, I didn't take my opportunity at that time. And next time you get an opportunity, it's just so important to take them, eh? Yeah. Do you – have you had – because that's a really interesting thing. Did you have people between that transition, like parents or mentors, who were telling you what to do in order to make those teams? Like, did you have people that, like coaches and stuff, that were really sort of helping you map out a plan, or was that drive and determination to make it and to put in that extra work and to stop drinking and to yeah. really knuckle down? Was that on you, or did you have a good group of people around you helping you with that? Well, I had the academy, which was obviously a good starting point, but. Um, a lot of it was myself, but the biggest influence, the person who's had the biggest influence on me was Andrew Goodman. So yeah, right. um, he was a PE teacher at the time at Nelson College, and I went to Nelson Rugby Football Club. Um, and <laughs> he uh, he basically took me under his wing from out of college, and um, he would pick me up. I didn't have a car, so he'd pick me up, take me to trainings. He'd train with me. Um, he, he yeah, he was um, massive. He had a massive influence on me, and then. Obviously, my brother as well, who was a bit younger, but um, especially when he started um, coming out of school as well, like we we trained pretty hard together, and well, basically through our whole life we were playing together, like yeah, yeah. in some sort of form. But yeah, uh, the way Goody um, helped me when I came out of school was massive. And what about the? Because I guess when you say that self belief, you know, you sort of had the belief when you were playing college stuff locally that you were good enough but then obviously you get around guys who have been talked to. I think Ryan Crotty and guys like that were in yeah. that New Zealand side so there's some pretty big names and then it's like that next level and you're questioning whether you belong and stuff is that something you've battled with throughout your whole career when you've gone through different environments or is that something that you've learnt from a mental perspective to like have you got tools to deal with that because I think in life in general whether you go for a new job or whether you're starting a business or you're doing a podcast yeah. or whatever it is you kind of always feel inferior like there's a bit of imposter syndrome when you're starting something yeah have you got tools to deal with that or is that something that you've just got better with yeah. over time that's an interesting one I think it mainly comes down to just doing it like getting yourself like as soon as you get that experience and you realize that hang on like I, I can compete at this level and like you get so much confidence from that mm. so I uh, mean I've been listening to a lot of things and everyone talks about just doing it and I think that's it like as soon as you get out there and do it you'll, you'll realize whether you're good enough or not, pretty quickly. And if you're not, well then no, who cares? Like, yeah. go out there and do it. And um, if you're good enough, you'll 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 find out that you're good enough, and you'll learn pretty quickly that you can compete. Because it can be like a couple of moments that change that day. Like I was talking to Shane Cameron, and he said that one of the things that helped him throughout his entire career was early in his career he sparred Mike Tyson for I think it was six weeks or three weeks. And he went quite well against him and like held his own against Mike Tyson, baddest man on the planet. And yeah. they, he's like, they just threw down and, and he's like, so after that, like that just took me to another level where I was like, I can go with that guy. It means that he wouldn't kind of didn't really have any fear going into any other fights, you know, because he'd been there and done that. And that one moment where it was just like a chance opportunity, he got called in, went and did sparring with him and was a main sparring partner, but it really set him up for his entire career because he got yeah. so much confidence out of it. Yeah. I actually remember, I think I was maybe 19 and we had an opportunity to go down to the Crusaders. There was four of us. I think it was me, Quinta McDonald, Kay Pokey. Oh, he might have even been in the team by then. But uh, there was four of us anyway. And um, we went down for a week to train with the Crusaders. And 
um, I was pretty fit at the time. Like I'd done a lot of running, and I've always been pretty naturally fit, like more of a like cross country runner than a rugby player, to be fair. And um, the Crusaders were doing like this running. I think it was like maybe a oh, five laps around the field or something, and everyone sort of said, "Just don't overtake Richie." And I was <laughs> like, "Oh shit, okay," because <laughs> he he was fit. Like he had the reputation that he was going to win, and I remember just running behind Richie for like. <laughs> Three, three or four laps, and I was like, "Oh, like I wasn't really." You knew you could I, take him. I knew I could take him <laughs> easy. I was just like too scared to overtake him. And then I, Khan, who knew me from um, Tasman, he knew that I was like probably just cruising. He's like, "Bro, just take him." And then I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go." And I just took off and like <laughs> went for it because went so fast that he couldn't like if he tried to keep up, he wouldn't. And just went and just it was a weird moment because I was like, "What was holding me back there?" Is it like? The fear of, I don't know, I wasn't really sure what it was, but I just thought, yeah, why am I intimidated by overtaking, <laughs> why am I scared yeah. to overtake him here? Playing within yourself just to make other people like feel good or like yeah, dimming exactly, your own light. Yeah, yeah. so it was, a, it was an interesting moment for me where I just always remember, and that made me think like, well, I'm obviously fit enough, like I'm probably fitter than the <laughs> fittest guy on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just the next things to start working on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's, that's a great story, actually. <laughs> what about um, your professional career? Like, you've travelled and you've played all around the world. Um, you've been in Japan most recently, back in New Zealand. What are some of like What are some of the best lessons that the game of rugby has given you as a professional? Oh, oh so many things. Like, really, like it's massive with the setbacks, um, adversity, things like that. Um, I've been struggling with my hip for the last couple of years, which has been a massive thing for me. Um, it's been quite tough because it's... Um, I I want to keep playing, but my body's not really allowing it to. Mm. And I know, like, mentally and stuff, I'm probably... My game understanding and communication, things like that, are probably at the highest level they've ever been. So I feel I could still add things, but my body just couldn't do what my mind was telling it. So it was a real sort of, um, I'm not really sure how to word it, but oh, I was re- like really struggling with um, how to how to go about it. So um, I ended up just, just battling on probably two years longer than I should have with this hip, which mm. had no range. I was slow and all these things were like sort of getting to me. Like I remember doing speed testing in Japan where, the whole team was watching and calling out everyone's times. And I, my time was honestly the second slowest in the team behind a prop. And I was like, oh, I was supposed to go. I was coming back to Super Rugby this year. And I was like, oh, man, I I can't do this. I remember oh, sat, going back to the, my wife and saying, like, oh, we can't go back. Oh, I can't run. Like, it's going to be embarrassing. But anyway, I sort of was hoping that when I got back here, the doctors and stuff could sort of um, – fix it or like inject it or get the pain to go away and I'd be all right to get through the year but uh, once I had my scan they, they saw pretty quickly that it was pretty, pretty <laughs> time for an operation yeah surgeon said it was the worst he'd ever seen so it was like it was pretty bad states so how do you deal with that like because what you're saying there is that one of the things that you've learned through rugby is that because you're up against constant adversity right like injuries happen to everyone almost you're very lucky if you don't spend time on the sideline yeah uh, 
but there's so much in there as well. Like adversity is one thing, and overcoming injuries and stuff, not being picked for teams. Yeah. <laughs> have you got Have you got any situations like that where you've been, where you've just been knocked around mentally because you haven't been picked for stuff? Aside from that, New Zealand under 19s. Yeah. So it's been constant throughout my career, really. Um, the first time was obviously when I was trying to. Um, get a crack with the hurricane so I was sort of waiting and I felt like I'd I was ready to go and then I had an opportunity against the Highlanders when was my I think my first start down there and I didn't think I played I thought I went okay but I made a few mistakes and then the next week I obviously got dropped and I was like damn I've missed another opportunity so that was sort of um, dwelling on my mind and um, I remember Conrad Smith he was someone who always gave me confidence he's always someone who I felt believed in me and he thought I was hard done by and things like that. And hearing that from him sort of made me feel a bit more comfortable. And then I got another crack a little bit later and then I ended up um, staying on after that. So um, I think people, other people can have massive um, influences in mm-hmm. those situations. But um, It's how you interpret that as well, because eh? I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago and he said he actually had cerebral palsy and basically was told from an early age that he walking and talking were two things that like basically out of the question for him. He was yeah. always going to have really impaired speech and he they were like, you'd probably be lucky to walk. And he became a professional sprinter and represented New Zealand at the World Championships three times in the Paralympics yeah. and is now a professional speaker. <laughs> and, and so, but he, his thing that he said is like, people don't understand the power of words. And he was like, we throw words around, but like actually words, like one sentence that you say to someone can change the trajectory in a positive or negative way, depending on how they interpret it. And he was like, when, pe- when people told him, he was constantly, his entire life, he was in hospital every day for like the first seven years of his life told that he couldn't do things. So it was just, you can't do this, you can't do that. It was just all limitations. And it just made him, he used it as fuel to like prove people wrong. Mm. But at the same time, there was like, he had a granddad, I think it was, who always said, the opposite and was like don't worry mate like regardless of what anyone says to you yeah. this is the truth and like you can do whatever you want and as long as you believe and you work hard and stuff and those words have literally shaped his life to like being a speaker traveling all around the world doing all this other stuff yeah. and like people like conrad and a few of those guys at pivotal times goody yeah having a few words in your ear at the right time sounds like it just had like massive momentum towards you getting that belief yeah and i think it it's all about who you listen to as well because Especially now with social media and stuff, yeah. like, I remember signing back with the Canes, and I made the mistake of going on the um, oh, <laughs> Hurricanes no. like feed, and just like it was abusive, and I was like, "Oh man, they like they obviously know." <laughs> like, well, just people ripping in, just ripping in, because Bodie had gone, and everyone was hoping for like a big replacement, and then they got me, so <laughs> everyone, everyone was obviously pretty gutted. And I remember reading the feed like, "Oh man, this is like there's going to be some serious pressure on me this year," and with my hip. Yeah. As well, I was like, because oh, I didn't feel comfortable. Like if my hip was fine, I would have probably been fine with those comments because I would have been like, okay, well, but I, you were feeling I can show you. Really. But I also felt pretty um, nervous about the whole situation. I didn't really feel like I could perform at that level unless um, something could change with my hip. So I was, I was, yeah, it was quite tough, and I ended up going completely off social media because I didn't want to read those comments again because I knew. They're probably affecting me more because I knew myself that um, I sort of I sort of felt like that as well. So um, yeah, that was a tough. That was quite a tough week period. So how how do you like how do you deal with that? You just obviously block it out. 
and try and block it out. But yeah. like, are you someone who uses that as fuel or like, cause people interpret and deal with things in different ways. How do you get through those types of situations? I felt like I've always used that as fuel before, but this time I felt like for some, probably because I didn't feel comfortable with my hip, I felt like I didn't really use it as fuel. I felt like it got to me a little bit because I wasn't comfortable. So previously if someone had said something bad about me, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll be able to, I can show you like So you had the self belief. I had the self belief that I could do it, but this time around I was like, Oh, I'm actually not sure if I can compete either. So I'm not sure if it's a good signing from the hurricane. So I sort of believe you and that's why it's affected me. So Yeah, well. So did you with that injury, like did you have you did you keep that quiet when you were in Japan? Like were you just trying to push through Because I I assume that in rugby and I don't know this, but I'm assuming that being tough as a badge of honour and getting through and like, you know, you hear of stories of Richie McCaw playing on a broken foot through the World Cup and all that yeah. type of stuff and do you kind of naturally find yourself falling into that? Were you pushed too far or were you open about your injuries? And like, oh, I've been open about it and um, so it's been a real gradual process. So I had hip surgery, um, might have been 2013 for, the, for a similar thing, basically the same thing on both hips. But it's slowly come back and it's just got worse and worse in the last two years in particular. So um, even in the UK, I was having a fair bit of problems with it. Then I came back to the hurricane. Um, I was struggling that year. Like It got to the point where I couldn't even put on my rug- my left rugby. I couldn't wow. touch my... I couldn't touch my... I couldn't get down. So I remember like, before a game, it was actually my the last game in Japan boots which went up to the ankle like the I'm not sure why I was wearing them because I mean they were my only sprigs <laughs> <spring> boots, <laughs> and it was a real wet day and I was like oh man I'm gonna have to put these these boots on and I couldn't get them on I had to get my coach and really? the assistant coach to help me put my boot on and I was like how am I playing this and then I'm going back to the hurricane year and um I managed to get through that season I actually dislocated my shoulder first game back and that was all because of my hip too, because I couldn't. I remember Carmichael Hunt running at me and um, off the kickoff, and I was so pumped to be back wearing the Canes jersey again. And it was a, like two minutes into my return, I was like, "Okay, I'm ready for." I knew I was run, he was going to run straight at me. I'd seen him play Origin, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, massive chop tackle here. I've got to go hard." And then because I because of my hip range, I can't actually bend in the couldn't hip. get down there. So I had to go into like a real ugly position with like real bent back head down into the ground and he's got his knee right on my shoulder and it's just gone pop straight out. So, I mean, my hips affected my whole, like all my injuries have basically come from my hip throughout yeah. my career. So. Yeah, but like back to your question, I, I was definitely honest about it and the coaches knew that I was struggling, but they still thought I could add enough through other areas. Yeah. We had a couple of young 10s as well who they thought I could help out. Um and if I needed to do the job, um, I could step in there. And there was one week in Africa when Bodie got sick the day before a game. I was actually rooming with him. And I was supposed to play fullback. But he was out, so I had to go into 10. And then we actually won that game. And I remember the coach was saying, oh, I know that you can do the job when when we need you. So um, even coming back this time, even though my hip was sore, they we know we're comfortable that you can do the job if we need you. So. Yeah, because you add stuff outside of that, right? You've, I think you won team 
team man, like of, I don't know what the award is, but team man of the year or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah, a few years, a few years in a row. Uh, which is a pretty amazing honour to, to have. You've got an awesome bunch of guys there, and obviously that culture is such an important part. To so be acknowledged for something like that is pretty special. But you've brought a lot more, and with your work ethic and the fact that you turn up fit, I think you won all the Hurricanes fitness challenges, just, you know, the surf to coast or whatever it's called. Yeah, man, I went won once, but won it since. <laughs> but, you know, like there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you, you bring, and it's cool that... Um, I guess that's a sign of a good coach is understanding what people bring outside of just what happens in the 80 minutes on the field, right? Yeah, and I think one thing with me from that point of view was um, when I wasn't selected, I always tried to do what's best for the team. So especially those first two years when I won those awards, was like, I, weren't re- I wasn't really playing, so it was like how can I add value to this team by doing something else? And um, I've never been one to be too bitter about someone else starting ahead of me. I've always tried to um, think oh, if they're the best player for the team, that's great. How can I, how can I add something somewhere else? And um, that's always sort of been my mindset. And I felt that especially at the Hurricanes, because I mean that was always a dream to play for the Hurricanes and um, to actually be in that situation. I was just like so buzzy, I was so buzzy to be there that I was like, man, what can I do? Like, how how can I make this team better? So I was just like. Um, did what I could and people appreciated it. And is is that because you hear that a lot? People say, "Oh, whatever's best for the team." Like when people are dropped and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that genuine for a lot of people? Do you reckon? Like, do, are most guys turning up with that attitude, or because it feels like that's the right thing to say? Yeah, I would say no. Like, mo, I'd say ninety percent. Like these guys, everyone's so competitive. Like, these are the most competitive athletes. In New Zealand, like they were going so hard at each other at training, and not—I don't genuinely think many people can say that. Mm. And that's probably one difference. I, I remember OTD Black. I feel like he was one person who genuinely was happy that me or Bodie was ahead of him, and because he he would say it, and he'd say like, "Oh, you, you're such a good guy." Like, and I re- I really felt like he had my backing, and he'd. Yeah, right. That sort of thing. So, like, he's one player that I would say would genuinely be like that. And he, I feel sorry for him actually. Going he's down. just got to sit behind Dan and Bodie again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, he moves the the Blues for an opportunity, and Bodie follows him up there. But no, he like yeah, he's one player who I'd say does do that. Does do that. Yeah. Talk. You've had a range of coaches over your time. What stands out from a coaching perspective and from like a leadership perspective? What stands out as qualities that make a difference in a coach? Because there's, you know, good players turn to coaching and they don't necessarily have a good run at coaching. Then there's people who have, you know, not had huge backgrounds as rugby players who come in and, and become great coaches. In your opinion, what are the characteristics that make someone a really good coach? Yeah, it's a very good question. And there's, I've had so many coaches and there's been so many bits of each coach which I just think, oh, wow, that's why, that's why they're good. Mm. But then there's other areas of them where I'm like, oh, well, they could probably use a bit of him and as yeah, well yeah. to make him like the best coach. But I think it comes down to um, genuinely caring about the players and building a relationship with them as, as a key. Um, being able to talk to them honestly. Um, and then just the, from the rugby side of things, not copying. Like I feel like the coaches who get caught out are the ones who have been in an environment and tried to just bring that to this environment or mm. like they know the pattern that, um, they did in 1999 where it was successful and they're bringing that here now and it just it just doesn't work where yeah. the successful ones are the ones who are thinking 
what's something new that we can do that no one else is doing? How can we get ahead and all these sort of things? So just staying in, in front of people instead of trying to just copy what. Mm. So if you copied like the all Bla- what the All Blacks did last year, well, you're behind the game. You're, you're behind the game. So it's like how, what are the All Blacks going to do this year, or what could we do this year that is going to have a advantage or that no one's going to be able to defend against mm. what about in terms of building culture and stuff look as you've been in, again amongst a whole range of different cultures and uh both within rugby but also like where you've actually lived with japan and new zealand and places like that what about what are the key characteristics of building a good team culture well i think the best team culture i've been involved in was the taranaki um item cup squad when we actually won it and i just because everyone came from out of Taranaki, or a lot of the team actually came from somewhere else, and we all sort of um, stayed in Taranaki for the for the season, everyone sort of connected and was everyone was um, meeting up with each other outside of training, and we yeah, had just right. a real good bond, I felt like, and everyone was comfortable around each other. They could say what they want. Whereas I know living in Japan, it's obviously completely different where you won't see anyone else. You, yeah, might, right. you might see the foreigners, but... You won't see anyone else in the team outside of rugby, and even in like London, it was the same sort of thing because it's such a big place. You can't all meet up for a movie night or something mm. like we were doing in Taranaki, where um, you you could maybe meet up with one or two guys, but any more than that's just far too much of an effort. So, yeah. and I think that's sort of a disadvantage for Auckland and things like that. Those bigger cities, the bigger cities, like I'm um, even talking to Billy the other day, he mentioned like he w- went to catch up with one of the guys and it was an hour and a half journey to go have a coffee with him and then an hour and a half back and it's like, well, in Tasman where you've got the advantage, pop down the road and catch up with the whole crew and um, you get a real sort of good team culture from those um, from those connections really. Yeah, so building friendships first and foremost. That's and like, it. Yeah. Because it's pretty interesting it seems like when you look at teams – Scott Robertson is probably someone who springs to mind. He seems like he has the ability to, no matter what team he's coaching, whether it's the New Zealand you know, under-20s or whatever, or whether it's the Canterbury team or whether it's the Crusaders, he's managed to just pull guys together. And I feel like he doesn't get enough credit because people say that you know he's 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 inherited the Crusaders or whatever, but he, he actually rebuilt them. Like He had a whole bunch of young guys down there, it was like David Havili and people like that, who were coming through in their first seasons. And he managed to create what looked like the tightest team culture. And I remember, I think I talked to David briefly once out, um, I think it was at the gym or somewhere when I saw him, and he just said, like, he's, he's just like one of the guys. Like he, he gets everyone on a, on a level, and he gets to everyone's level on a personal level. And it's like that friendship and stuff seems like it's such a big thing, but it, it baffles me that that's not just, like, second nature. It baffles me that, like, all coaches aren't doing that or that – because yeah, it's the same in business as well, right? Like if you're trying to get unity in a business environment, obviously having everyone having fun at work and enjoying themselves and having their mates there is such a big part of wanting to be there and wanting to work. Yeah. But it surprises me that that's not like a big part of every culture. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't actually worked with um, Scott Robinson before, but from all accounts it's the same as what you're saying. Like he's just really interested in wanting to know you and mm. um, being able to connect with you. So um, we've, I've had some coaches like that and – it definitely makes a big difference. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that's a big part of it. I remember um, when Mark Hammett came into the Hurricanes and he sort of had a bit of a 
clear out of some pretty big <laughs> names and stuff. Like he was he was very good at connecting. Was he? Yeah. So he he made your partners, your your wives and family feel so welcome. Right. And um and it was and very good at connecting with people. And um, unfortunately, he didn't really get the results. But I think what he did um, sort of led laid up to the that. Um, la- yeah, exactly. Laid the foundation for the success that we had later on. Yeah, because he <laughs> he came in and did all the hard yards, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then just copped it. Yeah. He, because um, who? What are some of the guys? Who are some of the best leaders that you've played alongside? Well, Conrad Smith's. Uh, probably my favorite like just the way he approached the game he was smart like um could communicate his work ethic all these things like he's someone you'd follow like no matter what and yeah you you trust you trust i trusted him and like, everyone trusted him and, um even guys like tj now like he has a massive influence in the hurricanes mm. like, he's probably the most influential player that i've played with right. in terms of um a team environment what he does off the field. Yeah. So what? Why is why is he so influential? Is it just like the passion? Because he's obviously passionate. You see that oozing out of him. Yeah. But what makes him so influential? Well, he's obviously a very good player, and he drives a lot of our game. But he's he also does a heap of work with the with the strategies and things like that. Um, his training. He's constantly out on the field. Just and pe- and the young guys who come and see that, and they want to they want to be like him. And, He's just at the next level. He's so competitive. Yeah, and if someone steps out, he's probably the closest thing to Jordan. Like without, like in terms of that environment, like that competitive nature, not mm. just so wanting the team to win. Not to that extent of Jordan. Like he's not a dick, but <laughs> <laughs> but he's um, yeah, that influential. I feel. Yeah, because you can sort of see it. He wants to fight for everything, and like I'd imagine, even does he rough people up at training, and he'd be competitive in every environment by the looks of it. Yeah, he gets into a fair bit of biffo at training. <laughs> <laughs> what about have you? What's it like when you're running into you know like semi-finals or the finals of the Hurricanes? That was a big moment in your career, winning that um, that year. And what's it like in those big? pressure moments are you nervous are you excited like how do you deal with the occasion because you've already touched on it you said like in those early stages of your career you maybe struggled to step up to the plate when it mattered yeah but I feel like in those moments you probably got the best out of yourself as a player in a lot of those bigger moments at super rugby and stuff what's it like running out in those environments and how do you cope with that yeah it's always it's always a bit of anxiety leading up to the game. I'm always really nervous leading up to it. I like to get out of the house. I hate being around the my, my wife or family around that like the day of a big game because it's just like, oh, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Like, <laughs> oh, you, you look, you're feeling okay. You're, you're ready to go. I'm like, I don't really like that stuff. So I, I go into um, I go to the stadium pretty early and just usually have a wee nap at the stadium and stuff. But. Um, once I'm out on the field, I know I'm fine. So that's always been the thing. So um, as soon as I'm on the field, like you just forget everything, and that's always been the case. But it's just how to handle that emotion leading up to it, not mm. overthinking it, not playing the game before you're actually out there. Um, trying to keep your thoughts positive, not negative. Like especially, especially at Westpac, I always felt like when you look out the window and you see the wind and rain, it's very easy to start thinking 
oh shit, I'm in for a night here at fullback. Like, <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. Be, this could be a tough night. Like, start getting negative thoughts. Like, oh, not actually that good under the high ball. There's going to be a lot of them. It's swirling. Um, these sort of thoughts. So it's always I always try and keep those thoughts positive, but. Um, so do you just in the if you have those thoughts are you just switching them out for positive stuff? Are you like is that something that you consciously do or? Yeah, I'll just try and oh, like yeah, basically just think. Don't worry about that. Like try and swap it with something positive, and then always try and remind myself that once I'm out on the field, it's going to be all right. Like mm. when it starts getting to the point where all oh, nerves are taking over, like just remember as soon as you're out on the field, you're going to be sweet. So like, why are you worrying about it now? Sort of thing. So. Um, but some of those build-ups to the finals was pretty special. And, uh, there's some massive games and like running out when the stadium's packed. There's like such a cool feeling. Like there's so much energy you get from mm-hmm. games like that. And, um, yeah, there's there's some really cool experiences. What do you think? Because uh, it sort of follows on from that. But in the moment, it seems like the best players, or the players that have the ability to perform at their best consistently are the ones who have like the shortest memories yeah like i've i even just like i've watched young kids uh and it's not just in sport but like who you know you miss a tackle and then they spend like the next 10 minutes beating themselves up because they missed a tackle and therefore they're not present with the plays that are happening or what's going on and that's relevant to like business when you make a mistake or anything else and you spend too much time dwelling on it instead of just putting it in the past but guys like Richie McCaw and stuff like that seem to be able to miss a tackle and it just didn't even feature in their thinking is that is that a learnt skill like is that something that you guys get taught is that because it's it's you have to be very present in that moment and it's it's such a hard I I just feel like that's in terms of life in general that's such a valuable skill to have but it seems like at professional sport the guys that can do that all the time are by far and above the ones who perform most consistently. Yep, and I 100% agree with that. And it, I mean, people, we do have mental skills coaches who try and teach you this stuff, but it's a very hard thing to teach, I think. Like, um, once you're conscious of it, it obviously helps in trying to um, get those thoughts out. But, I mean, probably the best person at it is Bodie, Bodie mm. Barrett, like, I've never felt like he was ever flustered. Like, he could miss some kicks or, like, miss a tackle and something, and he just would not uh, not look face at all. And, like, <laughs> next play, intercept, try 80 metres or something. Like, he, he was the pinnacle at not getting flustered, I felt. So um, sometimes he said, like, he, he would be... Under nerd, like, Yeah, like, especially if he missed a few kicks and had a kick to win or something. Like, I remember one against the Highlanders, I think it might have been last year, right on full time, sort of like, 25 out right in front like the one that everyone says oh yes everyone's celebrating early and he's like my legs are like shaking but <laughs> you look at him and you're like man like he's so calm here Seems he's ice just, cold yeah he's just gonna he did because I, I remember with Bodie one one of the things one of the most impressive things from him was I can't remember if it was must have been the season before last and he had a bit of a bad run it might have been last season a bit of a bad run and played really poorly and was just getting absolutely slated in the media. He'd gone from being like the hero to the villain in like the space of a week. Yeah. And then they played Australia that and I was like, man, I hope he like I hope that he steps up and just has an awesome game and shuts everyone up. And I think he scored four or five tries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just yeah. had like an absolute blinder. Yeah. But people were so quick to jump on and, and absolutely slam someone, even of Bodie, who's like so loved by the whole country. Like yeah. it can change in the space of a week. That must yeah. be really difficult to deal with. And especially at that level, like obviously I haven't been an all black, but you can see at that all black level, it's just so much more intense. Like mm. 
like you say, one or two bad games and everyone's jumping off your ship and um, pretty quick to start bagging you. But And again, like you say, as soon as you have a couple of good games or one good game, man, everyone's straight back on you, loving you, and you're, you're the talk of the town. So uh, it's not, it hasn't been quite that it, to those sort of levels uh, for me at the Hurricanes and stuff. I haven't really... I've always sort of been a player who's been under the spotlight, I felt, like especially my years, 2015. 16, uh, the years where I had a lot of consistent game time, I was me. I was basically the only non-All Black in the team or mm. non-international in the team. So we had so many good players around me that I was never really in those sort of spotlights. Or, yeah, no, I don't. If you told someone to name the team, I don't think many people would name me in those sort of teams. So I was sort of that player who I felt like put some pieces together, but was never. Um, up on the glory board or whatever, which I was comfortable. Mm. Do you feel like you got the most out? Do you feel like you got the most out of yourself as a player? I think so because I was, yeah, my strengths were are very different to other players, mm. and um, I could have easily had a career where I never got an opportunity because no coach would have given me that chance. Because it wasn't to I got my chance where people f- could see what I could add, and a lot of that was around things that people don't see, like when you watch a game, like. I mean, as a young kid, I wouldn't like watching me as a player. Like, <laughs> I'm not big, fast, or, or strong. Like, I'm one of those guys who, who works hard, communication, decision making. I my basically my role at the Hurricanes was to give Bodie the best comms that I could to make him the best player to, he could be. Mm. And um, I was I was happy with that role. I, I love playing with Bodie because I, I knew his skill set was so good that if I told him there was space in that right corner, it didn't have to be much space but I know that he could execute that kick to hit that mm. right corner. And then when he had hit that, I know no one else would see that, what I'd said or anything but like the that. the team but I, knows. I, no, maybe not even the team, but I knew myself. And I was like, those were the moments where I'd be like, oh, that was that was awesome play. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Because I feel like a lot of young guys, and, and it's almost a, that's almost a strength. Like if you can find out, because everyone wants to be big and fast and everyone wants to be flashy like Bodie and everyone wants to play number 10. And, yeah, yeah. And that. But if you can early on identify those other strengths and really build on those, surely that puts you in a better position to actually make it. Yeah, I think that was one of my strengths was my was my self-awareness of knowing what I was good at and knowing what I wasn't good at. So um, I never tried to overplay my hand by running the ball. Like if I've got Julian Severe outside me and I've caught the ball at fullback, I'm going to pass it to Julian because I know who I'd rather tackle out of me with Julian <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm coming forward. So... I mean, those decisions are easy for me, and I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in, where they think that they need their moment to... And it's hard when you're trying to get selected or keep your spot. You feel like you need something to prove, so it's really it can be quite hard where you think, I need to do something. Mm. But a lot of the time, doing something is not doing something or doing the right thing, and um, I think that's where a lot of, especially young players, get caught up in. And as soon as you have players who are starting to think for themselves or like, just wanting to do things for their glory. Yes, where you get unstuck. Yeah, ego's got to have a big role in that, though. Massive role, and uh, you, you know the players who who have the egos and need that ball. And yeah, some some are really good at, it and some need the ball because yeah, some some are good enough to demand it. Yeah, yeah. If I'm demanding the ball, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's a really good point for a lot of young guys because you, you can prove so much more by. Like you said, self-awareness is a big part of it, playing to your strengths. But identifying who those players are and being able to 
set them up to be the best that they can be, that's an incredibly important role to a winning team. But it feels like when you're a young guy coming through, like you're always trying to be that guy who's a superstar, but you don't necessarily need to be. No, exactly, and that's sort of sort of what I meant by that. And um, as soon, I think every team sort of needs players who are willing to sacrifice themselves. I, I, I remember probably the Crusaders. I'm not. I never played with Reuben Thorne, but I heard that that's sort of like what he was like because. I mean, he used to get a real hard time from the media and stuff. Everyone said he was like Mr. Invisible, like you mm. wouldn't see him on the field, but everyone he, who he played with loved him, so he must have been doing something right, and I'm, I'm guessing that was sort of his sort of role in the team. as well. Yeah, you don't make it to all that captain being a bad player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. So wh- what about um, – just go back to the injury thing for a bit because I, I – I feel like that's a like obviously you're experiencing it right now, but guys like uh, who you've been around a lot, like uh, Nehi, Milner Scudder, there's some people around you who have had some pretty bad runs of injury and stuff. What about the mental health side of things within rugby? Because I feel like uh, it's a big tough man sport, and but you experience so much adversity, like yeah. more than more than the average person, and you're under more pressure than the average person, and everything's more public. What about mental health within the sport? Because it feels like the All Blacks turned a page um, with the World Cup and the way Steve Hansen dealt with it, mm. and he kind of opened up a space where it was all right. To, and, you know, it, it showed players crying in the changing rooms. And there was, there was, it felt like a bit of a shift within the culture of New Zealand rugby when Steve Hansen exited, and, and he almost made a point of that. Yeah. What's, it, what's your experience of that? Because it, it, you go through some bloody tough times, and it's very public. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's actually been a – massive change in sort of the last two years around those sort of spaces it's becoming more open guys are guys are connecting on a more deeper level especially I've noticed that from leaving the hurricanes and then coming back the two years later that guys are actually talking about things they weren't talking about before and mm. willing to catch up after a game like in the in the room in the hotel and get into quite deep conversations around that sort of stuff so um I think in that space, I think it's there's been a massive growth, growth but um, when you talk about injuries, obviously, like you said, everyone gets injured at some point and how you deal with those injuries is a massive part of your career because you can either let them get to you and come back not quite the player you were or you can look at it as a challenge to get better and use those that time for other parts or areas of your game where you can improve, so... Um, some guys just have some rotten luck. Like, Nehi's a perfect example, man. Yeah. He's one player I just love to see out there, and um, I'm stoked that he's signed with the Highlanders. I hope he can yeah, some yeah. games, because, man, he's a talent. And um, But, yeah, just rotten luck of injuries, and I'm not sure if you can do much about that. You can only rehab, prehab so much, and it's a contact sport. You, people are going to get hurt, especially when you, you're built like Nehi, like, racehorse he's like super explosive and mm. um yeah it's just unfortunate part of the game really yeah it is <coughs> um just has Artie it seems like just going back to that depth of the mental health stuff and the ability to uh, kind of open up those conversations have those deeper conversations has Artie been a leader in that space for the Hurricanes because he seems like in general he's kind of changing the perception of a rugby player a little bit yeah he's been he's been massive and so many areas of the game, like mm. growing his brand was one thing we talked about earlier, but the mental side too, like he's he's set up a group where guys go and have chats, have these deeper chats, 
Um, guys are loving it, and he's he's been a massive part of that shift. Like mm. He and he's someone that's so influential. Like if it was someone else who started something like that, it could have the same impact. Yeah. Exactly. So everyone respects Artie. Everyone follows him. So if there's something like that, he's a perfect person to sort of open people's eyes and get him to, to follow. Mm. What's your advice to a young guy out there who is potentially coming towards the end of their college career now or has just finished that college and wants to make it in professional sport but is maybe having those doubts and stuff like what what does it take to make it as a professional rugby player? What advice would you give to someone who's, I guess, 10 years behind? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think you've got to be willing to sacrifice something. So depending how much you want it, like if you really want to be a professional rugby player, I can promise you you can be a professional rugby player but you're just going to have to make sacrifices to get there. So um, no matter on, on your ability, obviously ability helps, but if you if you really want it, you can you can learn all the skills to be a rugby player. Um, you're just going to have to sacrifice more to get there. and It might be a bit of a longer journey. It might be sort of four or five years and not straight out of school where, and then you start thinking, oh, am I wasting my time? So um, just having the belief that you're good enough being willing to work hard, make sacrifices, and um, listen to the right people. Yeah, that's a big, <laughs> the last one's a big, big point. Um, going on to that, do you, do you believe, obviously talent is is one thing, do you genuinely believe that you can build yourself into the person that you need to be? How, how much of that is physical and how much of that is mental? As a rugby player? Yeah. I genuinely think that you could, you can become a rugby player obviously um talent if you can't catch a tennis ball you, you're probably not going to be able to be a professional rugby player like if you can't just throw it up to yourself or things like that or if you never played yeah, rugby there's, there's a certain there's level a level but if you're a first 15 player i believe that you could become a professional rugby player what about from the mindset side of things then what like what advice would you give because i'm just thinking of people that i know who are who have got those aspirations um and are probably at a point where you're about to chuck it in. Like, I feel like after college, there's a massive drop-off in terms of people. Like, if they haven't got named in the team, then they kind of chuck it in and go and do something else. Or the real world catches up with them, they've got to go and get jobs, and it becomes harder to be as focused. And so there's a big drop-off after, like, 18. Yeah. But if you can stick through that period, you give yourself a far better shot. It's like I feel like everyone sort of jumps off the bridge at the same time. Yeah, and I understand that because obviously you've, You've got to start making money, and um, you've got a life to live, and you is that you can only chase your dream for so long, really. But if you are willing to make that sacrifice and chase that dream, I think there is, you will be able to get the benefits out of it. Mm, yeah, well, that's it's good for anyone out there to know because I, there's I know still there's, hope. there's still hope, mate. I'm going to pull the boots back on. <laughs> I reckon I got one season left in me, <laughs> maybe at hooker. <laughs> um, I guess. I'm interested to know what are the qualities in the exceptional players that you've been around? Are there common themes that make them so much better? We've already talked about the ability to kind of have a short memory and be present, but like what about things off the paddock, like goal setting and like having a vision? Cause I talked to Sione Famuina uh, a few episodes ago and he said that like one of his last seasons that he played with the Warriors was like the first time he'd ever set goals yeah. and he was a freak of a talent yeah. and it just felt like, probably didn't get the most out of himself because just didn't focus on getting the most out of himself. Mm. But he said as an organisation, they hadn't really set goals. And to me, who's never been in that professional environment, that seems absolutely insane that yeah. you wouldn't have 
kind of goals and values as a team that you're all buying into, and then as an individual. On that side of things, off the paddock, are there guys, like what have you learned on that side of things? Are you someone who sets goals vigorously and do, is that how you're driven or how does that work? Yeah, I've always been a big goal setter personally and all the teams that I've been involved in have always sort of set a goal. So um, from that side of things, I find that quite weird that the Warriors had never talked about or set goals. Um, it's hard to know what other players are doing because you don't really talk about it. It's not like we all sit down together and set our goals together. Mm. It's um, We do our team thing and then you sort of do your own thing by yourself. So um, from that side of things, I don't really know who's um, who does the what way in that sort of sense. But So um, what do you do? Do you set them like per season? Do you have goals for the season? Do you like how, how far in advance are you thinking? Like what's your process around that? Yeah, I, try, I usually set one for the season. Oh, I set a few for the season and then... A few more short term, depending how we go, how I'm going, and um, what sort of situation. Obviously, like you can set a goal f- for the season and then get injured, and mm. obviously that's gone. So you're just adjusting your goals and making little short term goals and things like that. Do you use tools like visualization and stuff? Do you visualize much? Um, I don't like sit down and visualize, but as I like before a big game and things, I try and make all those visualizations positive. Like, mm. um, naturally negative visualizations come into my mind but um i try and swing them around to you know catching that swirly high ball yeah <laughs> scoring in the corner <laughs> yeah it's a funny one because it's real hard to do it, it well it's a skill and it's it's like you've got to put the repetitions in to get good at creating those visions but i remember when i had my first boxing fight all i could think about was getting knocked out yeah. and like on the day i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna go in and get knocked out in front of all my friends and family yeah. and like it was just a constant battle of knowing that I shouldn't be allowing those thoughts, but then, like, how do I turn them off? <laughs> Did you get knocked out? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> but I had an injury going into it. I'd hurt my neck, and so, like, my neck was literally couldn't move a couple of days before, and I'd been oh, to a sorry. chiropractor, and I had a bunch of painkillers. And I think that played into it. It was like you with your injury where yeah, you're yeah. like, well, maybe my ability's not what it actually should be. Yeah. I sort of had that, but I felt I feel like as you spend more time in it, then – you get better at better and better at creating those positive visions. Do are there any guys that sort of? Because I feel like a, like a lot of those top NBA guys and stuff like that that you know they speak openly about how much they visualize and even like law of attraction type stuff where they're like constantly trying to pull the positive stuff in and they kind of feel like time is, hasn't caught up. There are there guys in New Zealand rugby who are leading the way in that side of things like is or is it you just don't know because yeah, i just don't really know but i do know that like the most successful players are genuinely the ones who are out there working harder than the other ones mm. i mean um, that's one thing that i've struggled with my hip throughout my career is i've felt like i haven't really been able to do the extra work that i've been wanting to and mm. um even from probably the age or just before my first hip operation where I was like, it's so sore to, like, as soon as I come off that field, to do an extra kicking session or something, it's just not worth it for the pain that I'd have the next day on my hip. So, and in the last three years, especially, like, as soon as training's been finished, I've been straight off that field. And it, it's not something I've liked doing, but it's something I felt like I've had to do. And I feel like I've so, you sort of get judged for being like that first guy off the field or um, not doing your lower weights. But I just, like, felt like I couldn't do it and it wasn't doing me any good because it was doing me more harm than good but when you see the results that the guys who are doing the extra work the TJs and things like that who are staying out 
for hours after training, passing, doing whatever, they're the ones who always make it or make it to that elite level. And no, there's no question, there's no guy who's stayed at training that much later and not made it. Like mm. there's no one who's given that extra effort, that worked that much harder than everyone else and not managed to kick on or like been unlucky. They've always seemed to be the ones. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. It's like the, so many stories of guys like Kobe Bryant and stuff who, you know, dude's rocking in three hours before a game and he's already there shooting from the free throw line. Yeah, or exactly. He's got a broken arm and he's there shooting at 5 a.m. with one arm. And just, yeah, just yeah. next level away. Yeah. How do you balance um, the pressure of professional sport and just having a personal life? Like, do you – because I feel, I feel like it, even with guys like you're talking about, guys like TJ and stuff who are on all the time, they're doing all the extras, obviously just so passionate about it. How do you – What's the balance there between that? Because I feel like having a good quality of life off the field makes you a good player on the field as well. Yeah. And I think having a family was a massive thing for me. Like as soon as I had, we had um, Ollie, who's now four, that was a massive thing for me to just switch off, go home, see him, play with him. And um, being a dad's just been like, it's been one thing that I've always wanted to be. And mm. I, I just love it so much that um, I just love playing with the kids. I'm, out in the go, I'm struggling at the moment in the crutches, the boys don't really know what's going on, but um, yeah, just as soon as I'm back from training and stuff, I'm, I'm out with them and just fully switched off from them. Yeah, that's cool, it's important there. What, um, I guess just sort of, I guess wrapping up, we've been talking for a fair while, but just for anyone out there who, anyone, particularly young people out there who, and it doesn't have to be about professional sport, but got dreams and ambitions I feel like a lot of the time you're they're squashed pretty early like high school the careers advisors like those types of things are always putting a ceiling on what you can and can't achieve and I the reason I like sitting down and talking with people like you is because your dream was to be a rugby player you went out and you're living your dream as a professional rugby player and, yeah. and that's the, I don't think there's anything better that you can go out and do than fulfill what you always wanted to do but I do feel like it's it's you're going against the grain when you're doing it, which I don't think should be the way. No. What's your advice to people out there who are trying to make life decisions at the moment or have maybe got some ambitions, doesn't have to be sporting-wise, um, from having lived the last 10 years, you know, doing what you wanted to do? Yeah, well, I had so many people tell me that I'm, you know, I'd never be able to be a rugby player. And if I, like when I said earlier, when I said it, people would laugh. And, um, I don't, I'm not really sure. I guess it's just don't listen to them or listen to the right people, listen Listen to yourself. If you believe that you can do it, just go out there and do it, and like give it a give it a full crack. Like um, have no regrets. Like if you, if you really want to do something, just re- go out and then do it, and then see what happens. Like as soon as you start questioning yourself or second guessing, then that's when things are going to get harder. Yeah. What's the highlight of you? Have you got a highlight of your career? Um, obviously, winning the Super Rugby is probably the biggest thing, but also. Um, Winning the ITM Cup with Taranaki was that was probably the best I felt after a game. Like the when I when we won the Super Rugby, I'm not really sure. I was expecting to have a heap of like emotion of like happiness, but it was I didn't really get it. It was sort of just um, relief more than anything. Probably because we didn't win the year, year before, before yeah. lost to the Highlanders, and that was pretty gutting. But um, the, when we beat the Lions, it was when that game finished. I don't know. It was just sort of like, oh, thank God that that's happened and we've won it and it's over. And it wasn't really like a, yes, this is 
it was awesome. It was mm. like, a, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure why. I was expecting a lot more, <laughs> lot more out of it. But um, when we won it with Taranaki, obviously that was against Tasman, and that was the most intense sort of, so much niggle, abuse, and like chat on the field. That that was. I've never been that fired up in a game in my life. Really? Like, I probably had a, I had a shocking game because I was just like so emotionally wound up and mm. there was so much niggle going on, so much chat of like abuse. And it was Is that just, specifically towards you because ex Tasman or like what? Um, definitely towards me, but I'm not sure if it was. It was probably a little bit to do ex Tasman. I knew a lot of them. My brother was playing. He didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks after. Really? Um, <laughs> there was something said which I'll probably regret, but um, yeah, and just remember like. Everyone just into it. Like they remember a penalty early on in the game, and everyone was just like coming in, like trying to fight and stuff. It was just like, everyone was so in the red, and the crowd was so massive and on top of us that there was just so much energy. And I think everyone's emotions in that whole game got the better of them, but yeah. we came out on the right side. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You were captain for that as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Do you when you're in those moments because like. The emotion thing, that's a pretty important thing to touch on as well because when you're running hot like that, you don't necessarily get the best out of yourself. Yeah, and I feel like I have probably haven't played as well as I could have in finals before. And I, you see some players who, who, like you said, are just so consistent in those key big moments and they've just got their emotions so under control. And you see it in league with guys like Cam Smith and Jonathan, yeah. etc., um, where they're just... They don't ever look. They're phased. just on one level away. Exactly, and they like not. It doesn't look like they're angry or ever too emotional about it, and just looks like another game or every everyday game where my mindset definitely wasn't that. Like I was playing in a final in front of <laughs> thirty thousand people, just like so wide up. Like I took a yeah, I think I took a fair bit of learning out of that just to try and keep it as another game. Like it is just another game, but. Um, it's just a bit more riding on it. Mm. What's your perspective on you moving into sort of another phase or, or setting up for another phase of your life now where potentially you might play a bit more rugby, but you obviously with COVID and with your injury and everything, you're sort of looking at the next next phase. What does that look like for you? You've talked about coaching and stuff like that. Do you, are you, do you have ambitions to be in coaching? I've always felt like coaching sort of been my calling more than playing, to be honest. And, um, I, if I didn't have a family and a wife, I would 100% be going down the coaching dream, chasing that. But the thing with the coaching is that you're still living that rugby player lifestyle where you're moving around. And, I mean, we have, as a family, we haven't stayed in the same place longer than a year and a half, and that mm. was when we moved to London. And every six months other than that, we've been moving around. So we've moved to Italy, now it's in Taranaki, Wellington, Taranaki, and things like that. Japan, Wellington, Japan, Wellington. So as a family, uh, my boy starts school next year. We're so keen to just settle down somewhere mm. and find a base. So if it wasn't for that, I'd love to be a coach. But um, I just I'm not going to chase the coaching dream by moving around. If a coaching job opportunity came up where I was, then I'd hundred percent jump at that and would love to do that. But um, if anyone from Tasman Marcos is listening, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sign them up. <laughs> yeah, I guess values change eh, over time, and exactly. And it's the priority now. I've had my time living my dream and um, doing my thing, so 
I feel like now's the time to let the kids settle down and um, live live a good life and stop moving them around because it, it is it does get pretty hard on them. Yeah, nice. Oh, you're a good man, Jimmy. Hey, I appreciate chatting, man, and just want to wish you all the best for your rehab uh, and for whatever's next. I personally hope that you get back out on the field and have a run around. I've always enjoyed supporting you and watching you play. Um, I know that having known you from when we were at high school, that rugby was always the dream, so it's pretty awesome to chat to you uh, and that sort of full circle thing. And it's just, yeah, I, ho- I hope that the next phase goes really well for you, bro. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully we can have sort of the 9-10 combo next time we're out there. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the chubbiest number nine you've ever seen. <laughs> you had a good pass, though. <laughs> cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. So there you have it, guys. That was the interview with James Marshall. That was a really cool conversation for me because James and I were friends at high school uh, and we played a lot of rugby together in college and it was always his dream to go out there and make it as a professional rugby player. So to sort of get the opportunity to sit down with him and have that conversation 10 years down the track and reflect on his journey from college right through to playing professional rugby here in New Zealand and also abroad, it's just a really cool conversation. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for anyone who goes out there and chases their dream uh, and there's a lot of valuable insights in there for any young guy in particular who wants to go out there and make it in professional sport. So uh, I hope you found value in that if you did please share it out with anyone that you think would enjoy listening to it uh, and feel free to follow james on instagram it's at james marshall he's actually just launched his own podcast called the what a lad podcast which is james sitting down and having conversations with some of the best lads that he's met through his playing days uh, and talking about all things professional sport and also diving into some of the antics they get up to off the field so give that one a listen and check that one out um, like i said share that out with anyone that you think would get value from it and i look forward to connecting with you in the next episode